Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Starting a Record Label. This week we've got Corinne from Indiepreneur. Indiepreneur is kind of like a digital marketing, uh, well, it's got a few things actually. It's got some courses that you could take yourself, uh, which I've actually taken, and they have a team that actually you could pay to help with you actually have the money to pay for a digital marketing team. And then uh, the third one is actually you can have group courses with them and they kind of look into what you're doing and help you out. It's like a kind of a big, like uh, I think eight to 10, uh, person group. So uh, personally, the Indie Pro courses have been actually really helpful. I've actually really enjoyed those. Um, I'm not in any way, shape, or form supported by them. I just really like what they do. And they actually have a really good podcast too called uh, Creative Juice. So check that out. If you're new to the podcast, please, please do me a favor and subscribe. We have uh, it on YouTube with the video version, and then we have on pretty much every podcasting platform. And just do me a favor and subscribe because it's really hard for uh, podcasts to get out to the people uh, that they're supposed to get out to. YouTube and other places have ways of like uh, suggesting content to people, but podcasts generally don't have that. So uh, if you could go ahead and subscribe either on like Apple or wherever, whatever you're listening to, that'd be awesome. So without further ado, Corinne from Indiepreneur. Uh, my name is Corinne Campbell. I am the co-founder and director of growth at Indiepreneur as well as an independent musician. And I do a lot. Um, fortunately, both of those roles kind of overlap, which is great. Uh, but I spend most of my time in music marketing. So whether that's social ads like Facebook and IG, or if I'm doing YouTube ads, or you know, figuring out how to keep fans engaged, right, through email and organic channels, DMs, things like that. Um, as well as, you know, making sales. Uh, so I play a lot in digital tools <laughs> mm. um, and I spend a lot of time nerding out on tech stack. <laughs> I definitely started getting into that the last probably two years to where like there's just mm -hmm. so many things. And then I listen to your podcast quite often and my list of ton tons awesome. of podcasts. And it, whenever I hear a new thing in the background, I'm like, crap, what is that now? And I'll have to like look <laughs> it up like, oh, now I got to like understand this a little bit. So Yeah. Well, it's funny because marketing technology, also known as MarTech, um, there's constantly new players in the scene who are trying to do things better than, you know, a lot of times these, mo the most brilliant solutions are brought out of someone who couldn't do something they wanted to with something that already existed. So you see these different things pop up and you're like, all right, well, is this legit or is this another person just trying to get into the MarTech space, you know? Yeah. And so it's very difficult to fight like a shiny object syndrome kind of vibe because there's so many shiny things like popping up all the time. So, um, but we're always trying to, you know, dig into them and see, you know, if they're worth consideration. And I think that's something that, you know, we do it so that every other indie who's in our community doesn't have to, mm. right? Um, unless they, you know, we're not the end all be all of anything, but we can at least give some insight based on our experience and our recommendations. So, but I, I like doing it. I, mm. I nerd out on it. I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's nice to hear a lot of, you know, it's, I, I think, there's only a couple other music-related podcasts that de delve into, like, digital marketing. It's definitely something that was needed, and you guys do a really good job of it. So. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> we love it. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Very cool. What? When did you start getting involved? Because obviously you were a magician, uh, magician, musician beforehand. I would love to be a magician. Um, I, <laughs> I actually – so – I was listening to the digital marketing podcast, digital marketers podcast, mm -hmm. perpetual traffic, yeah. which is still my go-to um, when I want to learn about nerdy digital marketing things. And um, I had been, I, I was listening to that podcast basically from inception. I was doing digital marketing in the military when I was in that gig. Uh, and that, that would have been about three and a half years ago or so. And I had to learn this stuff in a non-music way. And I realized very quickly, like, this totally can apply to a musician. We just have to hack it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was actually, um, I got out of the army and was a little panicked about what I was going to do because I'd just been in the military basically my entire adult life up mm -hmm. until that point. So that comes with health benefits and a salary. And I was like, I'm good. And then I got out and I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> like I'm going to have to do something with myself. So um, I was in a big rush and started an agency where I was 
essentially working on accounts just, you know, as whoever I could find, right? So some of them were really grassroots starting bands. And then fortunately, just being in Nashville and with some of the connections I had made prior, um, I ended up working with some bigger artists in Nashville as well. And it was a crash course in a lot of this stuff. So I was really deep into the Perpetual Traffic podcast by the time um, I heard Circa on it. And he was on that podcast and I was like, this guy's the same as me. Like, I have to find this person. Like, who is this guy? Because normally when I would talk about this stuff with, you know, friends who are on Warp Tour or any other kind of rock bands that I would end up having toured with or worked with, um, I, they just, their eyes glazed over. It was just, oh, yeah. they did not understand what I was talking about. They were not interested um, or maybe they were, but they just weren't passionate about it like me. Um, and so when I heard Kyle on that podcast, I was like, I have to find this person. So then I went and looked up his company, um, you know, Entrepreneur, which he had started, you know, maybe six to eight months prior to that. And I was like, this is incredible. And I was actually in the process of creating a very similar training. And you know, I actually was going to call it the Indie Music Roadmap. Like had it trademarked, had the logo, was ready to launch it. We had so many things that overlapped that I was just like, we should join forces because I don't want to compete with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it was partially that, but also just obviously it's so much better to find a kindred spirit, you know? Mm. So I emailed him, emailed and emailed. And if anyone's ever emailed Kyle, they know he's not great at getting back to email. <laughs> so, um, so he, I just like bugged him and bugged him. And it, it was probably about four weeks later. I was like, look, we got to talk. And he finally got back to me and was like, oh, sorry, I didn't even see this email, you know, which he didn't. I'm sure he didn't. And uh, we hopped on the phone. And the next thing you know, we were talking in like eight hour chunks, just like comparing our knowledge and you know, talking about why this is important. And we were just so aligned. And I was like, I would really love to just like get in on the ground on this with you. And I was lucky. He, he was like, yeah. So I came into Depreneur when it had existed for maybe six to eight months. And, mm. you know, the company is really only, we're in our fourth year. So mm. um, I was early, but I wasn't like the very beginnings of it. But I am happy that I was in as early as I was because it's now a, a huge part of my life. And yeah. I think, you know, having, uh, having him as a business partner has definitely made, you know, just it's really pushed me to do even more because he's the guy who does all the things. So, um, so yeah, but that's kind of how I came into it and it's just been my life ever since. Very cool. Well, uh, tell everybody a little bit. I know there's, I mean, a little bit, it's going to be hard, I'm sure, but like to break down like what IndiePreneur does it, from what I see, you got Indie Pro, which is something that you can kind of like learn yourself. And then right. you got Indie X, which is like mm -hmm. basically you guys helping with social media and then Indie mm -hmm. Founder, which is like giant classes where you can take to learn some of the stuff. And then you got full stack merch, right? Those are right. The four? Okay. Pretty much. Yeah. So starting at the, the uh, not the bottom level, but you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The most entry level friendly <laughs> is Indie Pro. And essentially Indie Pro is, has all of these trainings, right? So um, I think that we actually have a suite of about 13 trainings and we have two more coming in the next two months. Um, and so not only do we keep the trainings in there up to date, we add new ones all the time. We're constantly having to go back and edit those trainings because even before Entrepreneur, like I would buy courses online all the time. Mm -hmm. And I was always frustrated by the price points because I was always like, you're asking independent musicians to shell out a thousand dollars. Like, are you oh, kidding gosh. me? You know, and then they wouldn't even get updated when something major changed. And that was always a source of frustration for me as a musician. Like I have wasted tens of thousands of dollars on things that don't work from oh, yeah. PR to courses to radio campaign. I mean, I can't even tell you how much money I have just flushed down the toilet. <laughs> so, um, you know, when we were thinking about Indie Pro, we were looking at these individual courses because Indopreneur started with basically three flagship courses, which was Find, Fender, Find, 
fan finder method, which is essentially, you know, running Facebook ads, Mm. right? Like how do you learn this crazy platform? And, you know, three years ago, that was a lot less discussed in the music industry. Um, We also had the ultimate album launch, which is kind of like our funnel based training where you, you know, now that you've got all these new people to see your video, like now, how do you transfer that? To sales because that's really what we need to keep the ads rolling and then we had a messenger training so we just had these three trainings and um you know about a year after i got here kyle was like look we you know let's diversify there's way more things to be covered here um and you know we want to make it accessible to people who can't just pay hundreds of dollars to buy this stuff mm-hmm. so that's where the idea that's the birth of indie pro i mean it was really it was Kyle's baby. Like he, it was his little mind melds that when I was able to like get with him to talk about what should be in here, we developed uh, the ones and zeros training, which is all about pixels and the ones and zeros of things. Nice. Um, you know, optimizing the fan page. We've got stuff in there now about recurring content. Uh, we're training people about email and the messenger marketing has been built out even more. We have a selling tickets training for which isn't totally relevant at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it kind of is because I think a lot of bands are like, oh, let's go on tour, you know, and then playing to a room of 30 to 40 people or even less, depending on what you've developed in the area, it can really hurt your relationships with promoters. It can also just be like, it can break your little heart. You know, it can be very yeah. spirit breaking. Um, so we have a training that actually, you know, shows not only how to book these gigs and sell tickets in a way that can be profitable, but also like how do you build up these audiences in geo-specific areas? Uh, we have a Spotify training now. We have, um, you know, all, we're just building out everything we can so that if somebody wants like the cliff notes on digital marketing for music, they can get it. Mm-hmm. So um, that's $37 a month. I'm not trying to advertise, just saying that's something <laughs> that we hope is accessible for most people mm-hmm. and um, for most musicians, because obviously none of us are the rich kids. If we were, somebody else is probably doing our marketing for us. Yeah. Um, so then at the next level um, is our Indie Founder course, which essentially we only have um, 10 to 12 students per session. So it's really meant to, it's, it's not one-on-one coaching, but it is, uh, it's close because mm-hmm. we have these classes and what we've learned is that group sessions can actually be really helpful. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to like a songwriting round yeah. or something like that, but like melding brains together again, right? And seeing people who are at a more advanced level or at a simpler level and like the, how they can learn from each other. Um, so yeah, that we have Indie Founder and that is, we have a foundations course, which is just like a smattering of everything in eight weeks, but there's also, um, one that's concentrating on like getting people on your email list, getting their contact info. And then we also have another one that's about like making those first sales. Mm -hmm. So Founder is being built out a lot and we actually have like many splinters coming. And then IndieX is our agency services, um, which we typically have... We, we keep a small roster because we really want to make sure that everybody that's in there is getting the attention they want. Um, but basically, it provides revenue lift. We run ads for um, well-established artists. We help them develop out better merch. We, um, there, there's a lot of things that we do at IndieX to kind of help what they're already doing that's working work better. Mm-hmm. So it kind of just depends on the client. You know what they need so um but jack is also a partner in the business and he heads up indie x um, and has technicians underneath him that are helping him out so um and then yeah and then there's full stack merch which is my baby <laughs> because i'm obsessed with merch i'm obsessed with having good merch um obviously being in the army i learned a lot about logistics so um and i've just always like i'm that nerd i love packing cds and bubble mailers like Mm. it's just fun for me yeah (laughs) i don't know why so we've been developing full stack merch and we have a lot of um you know it's a best fit for artists who have like 200 or more orders a month because that ends up being like an everyday you know trip to the mailbox (laughs) 
Right, exactly. And or we have international clients who, you know, maybe they're in New Zealand. So trying to ship things to the US, they might lose some customers just because of the sheer shipping cost. Yeah. So um, we also have those people who send their merch to us. And then we dispatch it to North America for them to save them and their customers some shipping costs. Yeah. Um, We're also working on like merch development. So developing um, not just t-shirts, but like we have one client right now who plays violin and he's very well known for this blue violin. And we actually have a laser cutter and engraver. And so Mm -hmm. we've made little um, keychains that have, you know, they're blue and then where we engrave, it turns black. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like a 3D keychain that is that blue and black violin. So, uh, and you know, we produce different things like that based on, you know, the things that the client is hoping to kind of expand, you know, in their merch. Yeah. So um, then, yeah, and that's pretty much it. I mean, our YouTube channel is kind of a thing on its own because that's Cirque's baby. Um, full stack creative on YouTube is also like a huge project. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the easiest categorical separation of entrepreneur right now. Um, well, I love that. Be- like he's, I like that he's doing the YouTube thing and then doing the podcast thing because I know if you're ever getting involved with anybody that's going to help you out with the digital marketing, they're like, well, you don't have any digital marketers like or you, you right. don't have any fans or whatever on your digital marketing page. How are you going to help me get fans? And it's an obvious yeah. way to show, hey, we can do this, obviously. So, right. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, it's important. There are so many um, there, there's just so many things out there where you don't really know who the people are. Yeah. Right. Who are trying to sell you something. And, you know, I have, I can't tell you how many ads I get every day for people who are selling music stuff, especially like blow up your Spotify. Like I see like five of those a day. And, you know, we are, we are the people who will tell you, you can't just blow up your Spotify just because you want to. Not a good way though. No, you can buy it and have Mm. it not be real. But in a real way, like, you know, we don't really be like, oh, here's how to go viral. Like, I Mm. think there's a lot of um, quick trigger kind of things that are out there. So Full Set Creative gives us the opportunity to be like, look, here's who we are. Here's a ton of background. We've had videos on here for years. Like now you know who we are. You don't have to wonder if we're some skeevy dude who just came out of his basement <laughs> and decided to try to sell you a training. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the Full Set Creative channel is, I mean, Cirque also is just a big camera guy. He loves mm. geeking out on lights and camera and action. <laughs> I, so, I love watching a lot of stuff too, like Peter McKinnon and uh, what's the other yeah. guy? What's the uh, oh god, the guy that the guy that looks like like uh, the kid from Up. He always gets that crap. I can't remember. I don't know. Cirque's, Kyle would know. Cirque's talked about him before. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he has. Uh, Potato yeah, yeah. Jet. Potato Jet. Oh is his name. yeah, I've heard of. I've heard about him from Cirque. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a YouTube makeup girl. Like I, I love my daughter gets some into that, like, really big. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the makeup stuff, uh, even though it's never made me any better at applying it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I do love it. Um, and yeah, and then a lot of news stuff, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah, Cirque is definitely deep in on self-improvement, camera gear. Uh, he's, he's definitely deep in that on YouTube. Definitely. So like, is there, is there a certain kind of artist that you generally see coming through? Like, uh, say, like a solo versus band or like rock versus pop? Man, it is everyone at this point. Yeah. I mean, total, we have, there's probably about 13,000 people who have, you know, purchased something from us at some point, right? Um, And then there are about 1,500 members who are in every month and some leaving and some come in. And, Mm. you know, it's especially rough time for musicians right now, especially those who, you know, were mainly living on their live gigging. Uh, So we do have a relief program that we've been, you know, trying to keep as many people in the community if they're in a tough spot. Um, But with those, like, even the founder sessions that I've been running, there'll be 10 to 12 people in it and there will be, you know, so many different people, you know, so many different musicians. And I think it's been really inspiring for me to see, you know, how this can work across channels, 
you know, because we'll have a hip hop artist and then we'll have like a metal band and then we'll have like a trippy psychedelic, like, you know, pop rock kind of band. And then we'll have a Christian artist and a country artist and like they'll all be converging and talking about the same elements. And then when they disperse, it's executed in completely different ways, mm-hmm. you know, and I for me, that's inspiring. I know that's a little selfish, but uh, <laughs> we literally have. I mean, we have people who are in their in their teens and trying to start, you know, right out the gate. We have singer-songwriters who are middle-aged and have been doing this for years and just want to get smarter about how they're doing it uh, and everyone in between. So it, it really is kind of everybody. Um, we have jazz artists. We have classical artists. We have, like, New Orleans soul artists. I mean, it's really just everybody it really even at even at the uh agency level we've kind of got some of everybody i mean we have one like we have a youtube creator he's not even a musician um who's he's doing very well he surpassed he got his gold plaque for i think it's gold for a million right yeah. isn't it gold oh i don't okay. know things have changed now who knows yeah <laughs> so but he got his he hit his one million subscribers and so you know that's been kind of fun for us because that's different from yeah. everyone else um, but we have, you know, rock bands and hip hop artists and R&B artists and, you know, so yeah, it's not really one size fits all, which I mean, again, I, I think it's really cool because it shows how universal being smart about digital marketing is mm-hmm. for everybody, you know? Yeah. I mean, part of my whole uh, shtick with a stupid uh, podcast is to kind of like <laughs> it, it journals what I'm doing is starting a label. So like mm. uh, constantly like researching bands and looking at seeing what bands are doing, especially in say more of like the indie rock to pop punk realm. Like nice. there's just not, they don't understand much of this stuff. Like some right. of them do, but a lot of yeah. them, let's say I grew up listening to East Bay punk rock, say like green day, early green day stuff, things like mm. that. And they were very anti making money. Yeah, they're like very sure. against like selling out, basically, you know, yeah. that's a big 90s thing, you know, don't sell out. you know. <laughs> and I think that that still kind of persists today, especially mm-hmm. if you think about digital marketing. Is that something you kind of run into sometimes as artists being like, I don't want to kind of sell out or or get into yeah. this or totally. And to that, I always ask, well, do you want to keep doing this? You know, if you're not willing to package yourself like then this is going to be a hobby for you. You know, and I think a lot of those bands are like, well, you know, if I get a, a manager or a label, then they'll do it. And it's yeah. like, OK, what are you going to present? And, you know, if you're starting a label, you know what I'm talking about. Like, what are you going to present to that label as? Look, you have an opportunity to do more with what I already built. Labels and managers can't just lose all their money, like betting on something that's unproven. You know, that's how labels and managers end up out of business you mm-hmm. know it's, it's just not it's not wise and it's not typically done unless it's like a label that's owned by some independently wealthy guy who's just like yeah i'm just gonna throw money at everything <laughs> you know yeah. um and so it's important to build up your artistry especially before anyone else has a chance to weigh in right mm-hmm. because um in some cases when you do start sharing the vision of your artistry with someone else and you have no proof that the way that you would like it done is correct it's very difficult you have nothing to stand on to say like no we've been doing this and it works you know so i do hear that um i'm constantly challenging it i mean i would say you know of the bands that i toured with and or whose management I've talked to I mean there is a very um I would say there's an objection right there's an objection to being like oh we don't want to be salesy or we don't want to sell out um and it's like listen I don't want you to sell out either but I think if you do this in a classy smart respectful way it becomes a viable living for you and I think that's the goal that you have so you just need to do things tact you know, tactically, I guess would be the word, um, and authentically, and that can still be done. Yeah, it's really, it's really weird to me because I, you had talked about them thinking a label will come along and do this, which is something that I think died long ago. Um, yeah. 
and that still kind of persists today where they're okay with the label doing all that stuff. Like, I don't want to touch any of that dirty garbage, but like <laughs> them themselves, like when they see it at work, like, oh, this is what I should be doing. They're like, I don't want to do that. That seems bad. Right. You know, business is yeah. bad unless someone else is making it for me, you know? Like, right. Totally. And the th what's funny about that is, you know, my background is I spent six years sponsored as basically as a spokesperson for the U.S. Army. I was an active duty soldier, but at the same time, my job was 100% music for that period of time. And if anyone's ever learned what it's like to be packaged in a way that you don't like, that isn't authentic to you, mm -hmm. <laughs> I definitely understand. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was one of those things where I, you know, I would talk to my friends who are on labels, especially bigger ones, uh, and who or who had big deal managers and like they were the manager's baby act, right, mm -hmm. of all of the acts that they dealt with. And they would feel the same way. They would feel like this isn't real to us. Like, you know, yeah, they're doing the marketing, but also like, I don't want to be represented in this way. You know, that kind of thing. So it's never really, you know, you're never removed from the marketing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, whether you want to learn all of the little details about margins and, you know, product diversification and, you know, marketing things online. Yeah, that might be a little different. But I think that, you know, artists need to understand that that's just part of the gig now. That's just part of what being a musician in the 21st century is. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't embrace that, then you're a hobbyist. You know, you may end up just a hobbyist, um, which would be a shame because I think there's a lot of great musicians who deserve to be heard and seen and them waiting for someone with a, a little boat to carry them there is is really just going to be to the detriment of them doing this in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a giant like spreadsheet of artists that I go through. And in fact, it gets it gets rather tedious. <laughs> and so we're like, <laughs> OK, do I think this artist you know, just from like seeing what they've done so far would be willing to do more than just release music? on their Spotify account, you know, right. uh, I'm my idea of a label. Cause I think that labels are kind of old, cranky, rusty machines, even the newer <laughs> ones that people start up, they have no idea. I feel like that what they're doing, uh, right. especially in the rest, not just the music realm, but like the rest of the one, the video realm, anything else, uh, definitely marketing realm. And right. so what are some other things that these artists should probably be focusing on? Like, I think it's important to identify skills that you can learn yourself uh, and do decently at and the things that you might need to outsource. Um, you know, for me, there's always been things I've outsourced. I've always outsourced um, well, or I guess I didn't at the very beginning, but very quickly into my career, I started outsourcing remix or uh, not remix, just general mixing, engineering, mm -hmm. Um, I started as soon as I could pay someone to do that. I did, you know, because I'm like, this is not my talent, <laughs> you know, but when it came to learning graphic design, like I, you know, I tried, I basically tried to do everything at first and then figured out what are the things that I can't do myself, you know? And I think it really depends on who you are as an artist, as a musician, just the way that you learn and the way that your mind works. Um, you know, which components of your business, like you have to, you know, you have to do yourself because it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. The amount that I saved myself doing my own graphic design, doing my own photography, editing, doing, um, you know, learning those skills, doing my own merch fulfillment, you know, uh, I saved a lot of money doing that, which then opened those funds up for the things that I wanted to pay people for, yeah. which was like photography and mixing and, you know, having a, a better guitar player on the record than me. I don't claim to play guitar, but I have played guitar on past records and it wasn't very good. <laughs> you know? So now I just stick to bass, which is my primary, and I can hire a guitar player to play the riffs that I wrote and do it way better than I ever could. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think that it really just kind of depends on the person, but there's so many resources now, like on YouTube, if you want to learn how to edit together a, a trailer for your song, like that's not hard anymore. It's just so accessible. 
Um, and it might take you a while, especially the first couple of times, but you'll get the hang of it. You know, now should you make a full fledged video yourself, like a, a music video with, you know, all kinds of camera angles and, you know, maybe not, but you could start with something simple, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that you have to kind of choose what things you learn. The thing about digital marketing is that a lot of this is one, two, three step, you know, mm -hmm. and until you get into a more advanced sector where it requires more pivots than, and more expertise, there's a lot that you can do. Uh, you can run Facebook ads and screw it up pretty badly if you don't know what you're doing. But the goal of the trainings that we have in Indie Pro is so that you learn enough to no longer be a danger to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and so yeah, those are the, the kinds I've of things. I've done a lot of those. I mean, uh, yeah. Up until probably about last year, I didn't really know how to use them very much. And anyone who has ever talked to before, even people who have been signed on labels who have been, you know, trying to use face, they're like, oh, Facebook marketing doesn't work at all. We've tried right, doing right. this stuff and then like, you know, diving in a little bit more. And even you, I've gone through like uh, the the marketing, Facebook marketing for your course. And it's just mm. great one step, one, two, three step for it. And that definitely even helped me with the podcast. So like I've oh, yeah. used some of that stuff for the podcast awesome. so far and it's and it's it's super easy and it works. So Great, yeah, it's funny that's that awesome. people would be like, no, like it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny. We have actually seen that we've had management and labels come through, you know, the trainings as well. Um, we even have some people who, um, you know, maybe originally came to us as musicians, but then started using what they'd learned for, you know, guitar lessons or their session drummers, or we even have a couple people who sell like, trainings like Ableton trainings. So mm -hmm. they're basically like, okay, how does entrepreneur set it up? All right, I'm going to copy that with my stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, not the content, but just how we structure our membership uh, and things like that. And then they build, you know, Ableton training, you know, in, a, in the same kind of little bubble that entrepreneurs built, you know? Yeah. So we've definitely seen kind of a, a range. Um, and that's because we have taken the context of digital marketing to try to make it accessible to those who feel like it's not accessible, mm -hmm. right? But there's nothing, there are very few things. There are some nuances to advertising for music that is very different from advertising a pillow, right? Or advertising yeah. a keto snack, you know, whatever. <laughs> there is, you know, there is a difference, right? Music doesn't solve a problem, which is what the focus is of a lot of marketing. But at the same time, um, there are many things that we are doing exactly the way any agency would do for any client, you know, that doesn't have to sway just because it's music. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the highlight of it is that, you know, 99% of this stuff we did not create. This is not from our own brains. This is learned and acquired knowledge through doing standard digital marketing. Yeah. So um, there's, you know, it, it does, it takes expertise in that, but it doesn't have to shift that much. There's just a very small amount that needs to be shifted uh, because of music. And really what that is, is that it's a longer process, right? Yeah. It's not I might, super easy, but like no. once you get into it, it's actual digital marketing. You've just packaged right. it easier for someone who needs, that's a music person that has no idea what the heck they're doing. The first time I got into right. the Facebook dashboard, I was like, what the F is going on? Like, <laughs> I have no idea what is going on in here. There's too many right. things, too many drop downs, too many anything. And I had no idea. Yeah. But like once you guys walk through it, I was like, oh, dude, that's, this is simple. This is not that yeah. hard. Yeah, you just need, I mean, and I think too is understanding the different objectives that lie in there, right? Um, because in Facebook, you can advertise for people to engage with your stuff or you can have people watch for video views or you can do it for clicks, you know, website traffic. There's a lot of different objectives in there and understanding the process of someone having no idea who an artist is and then becoming a fan it's, you know, it's a longer process than just having them watch something or just having them click something. Yeah. So I think, you know, getting people to understand that and then realize that this is something that's achievable for them is that's, that's important to us, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that more musicians, again, deserve to be heard and are not heard simply because 
everyone. Like, I think it's because of American Idol. Like, when did it start? <laughs> in like 2002 or something? Gosh, but yes. Everyone <laughs> wants to make music. And so much of the way that you produce music now is consumer level, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can do it in your closet. My first EP was recorded, like, the guitars were recorded in my apartment closet. Mm-hmm. And I mixed it on an inbox pro or I had the inputs from an inbox pro. I submixed drums prior to them even hitting the interface. Like it sounded so bad, <laughs> <laughs> but I made it and I put it out on iTunes. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of stuff it, that makes that sound really good today. I mean, the last, like I'm yeah. an actual producer recording engineer. So like the last band that I worked oh. with before coronavirus hit, we did everything at the practice space. Not that I want to mm-hmm. do that. But right. like I've worked with them so far, and they only had so much budget. And I'm like, I want to work with you guys, so we'll deal yeah. this. But it was a pain. But at, at the same time, it sounds good. Yeah, exactly. And I think it gets better and better every every yeah. month. You know, when I see what you know, because Circa will come at me with like, "Oh my gosh, this camera! He came, <laughs> he came to me and Jack. I'm actually gonna look at our Slack channel real fast because he was like." Um, he said, you guys ready to never have to set your focus again? And I, I thought he came up with a new like productivity app. Like that's what I was thinking he was talking about. <laughs> like focus, like mental. <laughs> right, right. Like mental focus. Because that is what we talk about a lot of the time, mm-hmm. you know. And he was like, the EOS R5 and R6 dropped oh, yeah. for pre-order in two days. Beautiful color, world-class autofocus, literally set and forget. And I thought, oh, I thought you meant like, like shift or like another <laughs> app that you know <laughs> because we talk about both but it is you know it's kind of funny like he just gets deep into that stuff mm. um <laughs> so it's i don't know it's just funny how being exposed to him and the different kinds of channels that he's thinking about you know mm. is like but he talks about these camera things he's like there's you know this release is happening and then there's these and then this is happening and then like this is the best audio and um, you know, that's why I have this microphone is not because I was like, I need a good microphone. He's like, you need a good microphone. And he got me the thing that everyone uses. I don't yep. know. So, yeah, but there's constantly ways to make your creative stuff better and better at a lower and lower necessary skill level. Yeah. Right. So, um, and that's kind of what I was talking about earlier is like, figure out the stuff that you can do because there are great tools helping you do it you know, to kind of subsidize where your costs are, especially as a new artist or a new band. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, what's the hardest thing for artists to kind of understand when you first kind of get them in the, the system? Or maybe like what's the most common thing that they need to unlearn? Mm. Well, virality is one thing mm-hmm. um, because I think there's a lot of people who – instantly are like, oh, cool, I'll just put thousands of dollars on this video and it'll go viral, mm-hmm. right? Um, we get a lot of questions about TikTok virality, which, I mean, who even knows how long TikTok is going to be a viable thing now, oh, <laughs> depending on what happens, you know? But um, I think the biggest thing that musicians need to unlearn, and actually Circa and I were talking about this the other day, and then he also went live in our Facebook group and ranted on it for like 90 minutes (laughs) a couple mornings ago. But is that, you know, it's not it's not an insult to say that musicians are not in our standard execution of what we know and are passionate about. We're not exposed to the dealings of complex business. It's not that we can't understand it. It's that we don't necessarily think about it depending on who we are, right? There's obviously a variety. There's plenty of musicians who also have a day job and work in business, whatever. But largely, the reason we create music is not because we're thinking about business. We're yeah. expressing a creative outlet where, you know, there's a lot of different motivations in that, that most of them are not business focused. So when things in business pop up, we're very reactionary to them. We feel as though we need to, like, wrangle this in the scope of what we understand and react to it, which is where shiny object syndrome comes in, right? Mm-hmm. That's why everyone flooded to TikTok. They were like, how does this apply to us? Let's, we got to do, you know, and there was a panic about mm-hmm. TikTok when it first, you know, started coming out. Uh, I think there still is. I think there are still musicians who are like, how do I get big on TikTok? Um, so I think that, you know, learning that music is a business is the first major challenge. 
He's like, look, this is about money in, money out, right? Like, how much can you save? What can you sell things for? How do you save money? You know, if I have to have another conversation about print on demand with an indie artist, I'm going to lose my marbles yeah. because you make no money doing that. And they're like, but I don't have money to get t-shirts. So this is the only way I can sell t-shirts. Like make them yourself. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's I'm actually buying a press for that. Like nice. right now, just because. Dude, that's more sophisticated than me. Because <laughs> I use like those screens that you put out in the sun yeah. and they expose and then you just do it yourself. I mean, that's how I did it in the beginning and I still do it for limited runs now. I mean, I have enough fans now that I don't um, necessarily need to do that anymore but I still do for limited edition kind of stuff because it's a selling point that yeah. I'm doing it myself. Well, you when know? you bought the, cause I remember you talking about buying the, the engraver or whatever, the laser etcher yeah, or whatever it was. Glowforge. I was like, maybe I should, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should get like a, just a printer to learn yeah. how. And I had interviewed oh, a guy man. who has a great YouTube channel called the print life, Cam Irving. Mm. And he like, he just teaches people how to print and whatnot. And, he, and he's a printer. So I was like, dude, Love this is going to be, this is going to be, at least simple enough for you to do at the beginning to where you're not going right. to lose your back. Like, dude, yeah. all those print-on-demand places, you're going to get, you know, a dollar. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and so you put a lot of effort into it, and, you know, it also just isn't a great experience for your fan. It, it doesn't look sent very from good someone either. else. It comes in, like, a white, plain package. There's no note from you. Like, it's like, all right, cool, I got a shirt, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think that that's something else that, so when musicians come in, you know, breaking them of the idea that, you know, that they aren't a business or that business is evil or that business elements are like learning about true business is what's going to, that's what you are. Mm -hmm. If you're a musician, you're trying, you're self-employed, you're trying to start your own business. That's what it is. Yeah. And so I think breaking people, the idea that like business is bad, marketing is bad. It's like, yeah, if you want to be a hobby, maybe it is. If you want to sell things and make a living and have something that you can viably live off of, it's a business. Yeah. I mean, wanting it to be something else is not going to achieve that for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's probably the biggest thing that we have to break people of is just uh, realizing that great music isn't isn't gonna do it releasing on spotify every two weeks isn't gonna do it you know um and i think it's a hard lesson for people to learn because they feel like they've already put so much into the music they want that to be enough but it just isn't i know it's like a left brain right thing right brain thing too because you know you got you know the artistic side where you're creating and then you got the other side where it's numbers and you know number munching or whatever right. <laughs> and uh, yeah it's it's really hard to get over it. And I understand that. I completely 100% understand that. It's just, mm. you have to. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm lucky because my first EP I put out in 2008. I started working on it in 2006 and it just took me that long to get it done. Mm. So it was very MySpace era. Yeah. And at that time, Tons of musicians were, you know, getting discovered on MySpace. My best, for one of my so, best friends from high school was in the White Tie Affair. He's a lead singer. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So MySpace success story, right? Yeah. So it's like when, because of that, I didn't have any preconceived idea of like how I would get that EP out or do anything with it. I had no idea. Um, I was in the military. I was trying to, you know, figure it all out. So I was trying to do a part-time and I was just looking at what was happening on MySpace. And I was fortunate enough to kind of, it just cemented itself in my brain. Um, and it's maybe because my mom was a small business owner. Um, she owned a karate studio, which nice. is a very different kind of business. <laughs> but she would talk about, you know, margins and, you know, all of the things that go into running a business. Um, and so I just immediately was like, I need to know who these people are. I need to know who's in my top eight. I need, I would have Twitter contests and be like, you know, who's posting the most about me. I'll follow you back. You'll be on my Twitter top 10 for the week, mm -hmm. you know? And so I had to manually keep track of a lot of people. So it was a data thing before I realized it was a data thing, Yeah, you know? And I'm just, I'm fortunate that that's kind of where my career started because it got me thinking, I need to track people, <laughs> even though that wasn't something we were really thinking a lot about yet. Mm -hmm. uh, so by the time, you know, 
like where entrepreneur is now and the kind of stuff we're teaching musicians now, I'm like, look, dude, you don't have to like take people's information from PayPal and put it in a spreadsheet and like try to track who they are. Like all of this stuff does it for you automatically. Like Mm -hmm. this is bonkers, you know? So um, to me, it's like second nature just because I, my career started around a time where this was starting. Uh, and so I'm lucky for that. I think I wasn't late to the game or early. It happened like right as I was coming in. And so it was just great timing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's where my perspective comes from. But um, it's definitely something that is, you know, it, I think musicians struggle with it a lot. Um, yeah. If they can see the ways that they can take their creativity out of this logistical space and turn the things that they've learned about marketing into the fun things that are actually a, a result of their artistry instead of feeling like it's something separate. Um, I think that's where I see the most success from people who interact with our company. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So you had mentioned earlier that you actually do have labels that you work with. Is that is that mm-hmm. a thing that happens quite often? Like on... Yeah, I mean, typically, so IndieX is, we get applications for IndieX a lot, um, but most of the artists aren't ready. And I'm sure as you're starting a label, you know exactly what that's like. Um, A lot of people want a quick result. They want a shortcut. They want a, you know, an easy way to get somewhere. So they view Indie and they'll pay for it. That's the crazy thing. There are musicians who have a crap ton of money. Yeah. There are musicians who are like, I have all this money and I don't want to learn it. I just want someone else to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of, we don't take them. We won't accept artists like that. Um, And not because we hate their face or anything, but just because (laughs) what IndieX is going to do is not going to generate you revenue. And it is our principle. It's kind of like a moral thing for us. We do not take money from artists where we don't feel that they're in a position to have made that money back and more Mm -hmm. um, typically. Sometimes we'll make an exception, but very rarely. So uh, because like the last thing we need to do is to be taking excess money from indies, knowing that they have a pipe dream that we can't deliver. Like that just leaves everybody unhappy. Um, And, you know, us richer, I guess, but, (laughs) but it's not, it's not worth that. That's not our, that's not the point of our company, you know? I imagine that probably money like, the the name a bit too if people are coming look this they did nothing for me people are generally people that also complain right well those (laughs) are the people who don't understand what we do in the first place yeah because we don't we don't make artists you know that's not what indiex does um it's not the objective of it and it's it's not what's accomplished by this you know at all so um and they could easily like spend a month, you know, spend $37, spend one month in the fan finder method training, for example, and then go spend that $1,500 on ads. Mm-hmm. And that would be great for them, you know? So it's like, don't pay us, pay you, you know, in that way. Um, so in any case, yeah, we end up working mostly, um, we, d- we have plenty of independent artists, but they are usually of a significant level already. Um, or they have management or label that's come to us. Um, and in those cases, you know, we, we try to basically protect the artists as much as we can, you know, Mm. um, there are situations where, you know, our hands are kind of tied on what we're able to do because of, you know, the red tape around everything. Um, and that can be frustrating, but yeah, those end up being the artists that are more ready for EDX. Yeah, I've working being a like a recording engineer and whatnot. Like I came out to LA in like 2008. I started as like a runner at a studio, at a well-known studio. Like I mm. worked my way up, and then eventually I became freelance, and that's where I made the most money. But mm. at the same time, I worked for quite a few people that were just like people that were subsidizing with pipe dreams like people's pipe dreams and these people yeah. might not care in the end like they might just have a lot of money there are some people that were like you know super lawyers and doctors and stuff that just had right. tons and tons of money and there was actually people that were really good and they might have also had a bit about a, a bit a, a bit of money but uh <laughs> they were really 
big on YouTube, like some younger kids uh, especially. But they were right. just they wouldn't they they were even uh, one one kid uh, even got to be like a, a kid under a manager. Of, I'm not going to say the manager's name, but he was huge. Like if I said their name, you'd be like, whoa, like he was like yeah. they, were, they were managing him and they didn't do anything for them, basically. Right. And they, the parents and whatnot were not trying to learn anything themselves. They just wanted someone else to take care of it, you know, put money into mm -hmm. it. And that kid, I feel like if he would have went through this class, he probably or went through something like this similar, he would have at least been able to do a lot more. They weren't even taking, right. I think, T-shirt orders for themselves. Yeah. It was weird. Sometimes, sometimes we get clients like that at NDX, especially those that have, you know, are well-established and have been mm -hmm. working with the team for a long time. And then we dig into different assets or, you know, data that they send over. And we're like, how did you not Make gather money. emails <laughs> and let them know that there's a new album? Like, how yeah. is that a thing? Like, how are you not uploading that audience to Facebook and advertising to them? How Why do you, you not, not have gathered? a mailing list? Like, it doesn't make Seriously, any sense. Like it's crazy to me. Uh, and that's a thing, you know? And so I think that there are, I mean, that's where there's a cool entry point for more independent labels in management is that, you know, we can get some fresher blood in. I mean, I always talk about this because um, there's definitely like with the army and the stuff that I did with them, I was like, okay, this is a large battleship. It takes so much time to turn mm -hmm. because you have to get all of these people on board and most of them are middle-aged white men. So you have to, you know, also like <laughs> deal with the fact that you're a woman and, you know, and it just took so long for them to pivot on anything. Whereas independent artists, you can pivot whenever you want. Yeah. So if you are, you know, an independent manager or an independent label, you can also pivot. And I hope that, that what that will do is kind of democratize this whole industry yeah. because eventually we will outpace the majors because they can't keep up and when they do try the things that we try they fail at them because yeah. they go in thinking they're gonna fail and then they run it poorly and they're like yeah see it did fail they you know all a bunch they're of looking for is an affirmative that they were right yeah yeah <laughs> exactly so yeah. where do you see them so where do you see labels in the future then i mean do you see the the labels kind of the larger ones crashing or do you feel like maybe they just slowly change like the well, I think the especially the way that the U.S. is built, like the rich stay rich, you know, and so the major labels are always going to have power. Um, but I think that it'll be I would like to see independent musicians have a running go at, you know, even if it's a lot of them taking smaller pieces, having, you know, a more significant piece of the pot. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's very, if we can get more independent musicians to think about their stuff as a business and help them focus on how to make them profitable, it's a real possibility. Mm -hmm. uh, because at some point, the money talks, the yeah. numbers talk, and not Spotify numbers, but if you're living on it, you know? Mm. And I think that those metrics will become of a different consciousness. If you are, we're looking at Spotify right now because it's one of the only things that we can track. It's one of the only things where we can look at someone else's status and know what's going on, yeah. you know, we feel. But, you know, if independent musicians are, you know, driving sales and are generating revenue and making their own money, it's going to become noticeable yeah. that we have outpaced the growth rate of the major industry. Uh, and so that's what I'm hoping for. And I think that's really something that Entrepreneur is, you know, hanging our hat on is that it's very possible. Hmm. And the more people that we can reach, the faster that'll happen. Um, I'm also, you know, in protest of artists who get typecast, you know, and that's something that even in my own music, um, which, you know, I don't think I don't talk about a lot, but it's a little bit of a political status for me right now because I'm releasing music that is not the same music that I've released the majority of my career. Yeah. I'm releasing remixes and orchestral stuff where I've released rock in the past and like warp to a rock, angsty shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I'm releasing this other stuff and it's like, look, I shouldn't, you know, like fans should not expect artists to stay the same. They should not expect art to stay the same. Yeah. When we go back and we look at Van Gogh, right? His whole catalog of paintings 
they weren't the same. They can identify what era of Van Gogh's life it was painted in mm -hmm. because of the diversity between his entire work, you know? Mm -hmm. And I want musicians to be able to do that as well. And as labels get less out of it and there's less fear of financial recourse issues, mm -hmm. you know, the, the faster we'll be able to just be like, look, the independent music is diverse and it's diverse within an artist and it's also diverse across the spectrum. So get into it because it's cool, you yeah. know? It's, a, yeah, it's definitely a, a hard thing for bands to deal with. I even remember being younger and whenever a band would take like a hard turn, you'd be like, what? And like eventually yeah. you might get into like it. Like Stank. Yeah. Hoobastank took a hard turn. Are you familiar? Yeah. And yeah. So they, they took a super hard turn. And I, I've loved, Hoobastank is probably like one of my number one favorite bands mm -hmm. of all time. And people were so mad. <laughs> well, it's like Sugar Ray. I mean, Sugar Ray is like a metal. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, And then like, oh, hold sure. on, let me go pop. Like, yeah. Or Smash Mouth or Goo Goo Dolls. Have you ever heard Goo Goo yeah. Dolls first album? It's nothing like their hair <sighs> kind of rock of after that. It's weird. Right, right. It's like going from from No Doubt to Gwen. It's, yeah. <laughs> well, even then, though, like that took some she time. She created a new brand, you yeah. know, but there are bands that have tried to do it within themselves without doing that. And it's very difficult. She took some time, though, to get from one, get from A to whatever, you know. Yeah, so it's kind for of, sure. I understand that people took that a little bit better, but yeah, yeah. When yeah. you go, whoo, like one way, like, ooh, exactly. <laughs> You're gonna, yeah. You might lose some fans for sure. Yeah, but also, like, what kind of society are we living in where that's the thing? Where if you skew, because how many people do you know that only listen to one style of music? This is only, yeah. all, only listen to rap. That's well, back all I listen day, to. Yeah, I was since I was a punk kid. Like, you got a little in trouble if you were listening to more than that which is ridiculous right. but you know <laughs> yeah but there's a political statement that goes with punk that's a little different you know i think can be and you know <laughs> I, I actually i think that there's culturally even over time that's changed right mm. um you know it as as mtv diversified as you know and moving into like where we are now right there's a ton of crossover between all kinds of different, I, I think country is the one that still kind of stands alone more than the rest. But like Ariana Grande fans might be pop fans. They might be R&B fans. They might mm. be rap fans. They might also listen to rock. You know, I think there are more people listening to a, a wider diverse spread of music, partially because it's all just digital you don't have to commit to it with a CD. You can go check it out. You can figure it out if you like it, you know, and then put it on some weird eclectic, you know, mix playlist on Spotify you yeah. know, and listen to all of it. Um, so I think that that is, I think that that's a construct of the labels basically saying like, this is an artist and you know who they are. Mm. And now we're going to be able to project record sales because you know who they are and you're going to stay with them, you know? Um, and I, you know, like one of my buddies, Levi, he's the singer of Miss May I, Levi Benton. And, um, he's this, like, he's got, you know, the long metal hair, you know, he like, he just looks straight out of the eighties. It's amazing. Um, and he sings, uh, you know, pretty aggressive metal music, you know? Um, and you know, he's definitely the type of guy who's like all right open it up you know like he's that guy <laughs> you know what I mean and if you haven't heard Miss May I go check him out definitely a great band very hard-working band who gets it um but you know she will listen to all kinds bit. of music that is not that you know what I mean mm, yeah um and so it's just it's kind of it's, it's silly to think that fans of music aren't different from the musicians themselves like mm. just inspired by all kinds of different things you know yeah I think metal music uh, musicians and metal bands are one of the only kinds of rock bands that might be getting the digital industry and doing video and doing other things. They're the ones that are kind of dipping their toes into it a little bit. Uh, yeah. Maybe a little bit of like the emo rap kind of stuff that's going on now. But uh, uh, besides like rock dude. in general is kind of like, I don't know why. They're just like, I don't want to get in the water. Right. It's actually funny like how many um like marshmallow and res remixes i've seen of like under oath lately mm -hmm. or a day to remember and i'm just like 
this is cool, but what are they doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I love electronic music. I mm. love res. I love marshmallow. I love bass nectar. Like I'm totally into that side. And for me, it's actually I'm pretty jazzed to see that. Or like if you look at Poppy, right? Like what mm. the hell is this girl doing? Exactly. But it's great. It's to me, it's ingenious. I love that it's a complete flip within a song, you know? So, um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully that'll just, you know, our minds will be opened because it, you know, we aren't necessarily in the same world that we always have been. Cause mm -hmm. I do think that like making artists stay on a track has been largely propelled by the people who market them rather than the artists themselves. If the artists themselves want to do it that way, fine. If that's where you're comfortable, stay there. I think some of the fans I, kind of project upon them. I mean, like, I if think, a band but, changes, like, they're going to be like, oh, I'm mad about it. Like, see it all the yeah, time. Yeah, but aren't they mad about it because the labels or the major music industry have taught them to be able to expect the same thing? Like, don't you think that that could be something that we've just learned to have a preference because that's the the standard of the way things have been all this time? It could. That's, I mean, that's my mind. That's That's what I think. I would posit that you know, we expect a certain thing because someone at some point set that expectation, hmm. not necessarily because it's better, just because that's the way it's been, you know, but there's a, a lot of things in our social structure <laughs> that would, that would, you know, go by the same kind of standard, which is that we expect what we expect and anything different is bad, Yeah. but maybe it's not, you know? So uh, I'll be interested to see like how it all shapes out, especially as so many artists have all this time mm -hmm. to sit and work and self-reflect and whatever. I'll be interested to see if some things change up a little bit. I'd love to see that. I definitely seen a lot more artists actually doing like Facebook lives and things like that mm -hmm. and getting into like opening that door, which is nice. Yeah. I think so too. I've actually been really surprised. Um, you know, I follow a lot of bands on bands in town. That's kind of how I get my concert updates. Mm -hmm. And like Death Cab for Cutie has gone live like every, like twice a week mm -hmm. <laughs> for weeks now. And I'm like, how, like before this happened, how often would we really see those guys co going live and just being like authentic yeah. and out there, you know, like, it's not a, a normal thing. Um, I think it also does kind of the way it is like social media has already accelerated the fans expectations of access to mm -hmm. their favorite artists. And I think it's going to come out of this tenfold because now artists have been trying to keep people engaged through live streaming instead of touring, but live streaming and touring are very, very different oh, yeah. in experience, you know? So I'm interested to see like how fans feel about, going just going back to going to shows and like not having that intimacy with that artist anymore mm -hmm. there might be you know a, a protest in that department yeah i mean at least until things are slightly what people would think is safer to be out there right they don't yeah. want to get out you know <laughs> like which who knows what that's going to be yeah. right like gosh yeah the whole thing is really bonkers i think just processing it any for any of us is just really difficult because it's like so many of us are in a huge rush to get back to normal yeah um but i think no matter where you sit in that department it's like yeah but when is that going to be mm -hmm. and there's like 15 doctors on every freaking channel telling you different things about when it's going to be yeah and it's like why don't we just say we don't know, <laughs> you know that what would I mean? be beautiful yeah I like that. Let's just say we don't know. Like, don't, I don't want to be disappointed when you say, you know, August 15th and it passes. Like, I'm going to go more crazy than if I just assumed it would be never. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, you got the people on so. one side where they're like, oh, this is going to be the worst thing on earth forever. And then the other people are going to be like, on the other side, it's like, it's nothing. Like, yeah. I don't I'm think an I agree with either of you. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm an indoor kid, so mm. this hasn't been, and Cirque is an indoor kid as well. Mm. Like, we just, we, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, we're just playing on our shit all day. So, like, I think that, you know, for some people, it's probably maddening. For me, it, it hasn't really been. I mean, there's a couple of instances where I'm like, man, you know, like I had tickets to see Haley Williams at the end oh, of yeah. June at Brooklyn Bowl when she was playing in Nashville. And 
the it's so funny. Like I think it wasn't it was Ticket Web. I wasn't Ticketmaster, but Ticket Web sent me an email like two days prior. It was like, Don't forget this show and I'm like I would love to have not forgotten that show. Thank you for reminding me, you know, that I'm not. You can't go. Yeah. And then they emailed me again the day of, and I was like, guys, turn off your freaking automation. But yeah, it's, so there have been a couple moments where I'm like, oh, it's that face. But for the most part, like I've been okay. I'm, I'm patient. You know, I had some touring plans, um, Mm. you know, for the release that I'm putting out right now. Those are obviously on hold, um, and they're European, so you might even be on a longer hold <laughs> since we're not allowed to go there right now. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, all right, well, I just have time. I have an excuse to spend more time creating, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm interested to see how many of us go like clinically crazy before this is over. <laughs> My daughter, she's 13, so like she, you could definitely tell her that she's getting edgy, like just because of her friends yeah. not being able to see her friends or whatever. So, right. Yeah. And it's funny because like kids that age spend so much time on their devices anyway. And, but at the same time, like that's not enough. You would think, right? As an, as a, like a young adult or a standard adult person looking at teenagers. Like, man, they're just on their devices all the time. Mm-hmm. So you would think they'd be fine not seeing each other. But no, they're on their devices and they're seeing each other. Yeah. <laughs> they're just filling their head with all the things. <laughs> well, they like do TikToks and stuff other. together and do all these other crazy things. Yeah. They yeah, still like exactly. going swimming and crap. I mean, it's not like we're all old. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but I, I feel for it because I just know, you know, some people are losing their brains and I just am kind of happy that I was an indoor kid to begin with Mm -hmm. so that it's a little easier on me. (laughs) Definitely. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I don't want to keep you forever. I know you got some stuff to do. Um, You know, entrepreneur, it's a company. I try to do some stuff for it. They make me work. It's like, oh, I don't want to work. I would do fun stuff like Cirque, go find cameras and things. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Yeah. Mine is developing merch. Mine is like, I want to go grab a piece of acrylic and carve out some Mm. new shapes and and products right now. And maybe maybe make some leather bound journals. It's kind of on my, that's my next one. (laughs) You get like one of those like leather presses or whatever, like to put the names and things into it. No, like this, this, uh, the Glowforge will actually burn into leather. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I can do it super intricately. So you just like bind your own paper. You actually mm. like get paper and just put the glue. It's, it sounds really complicated, but it's not. You just, you know, it's a straight, you cut it with a straight edge and put glue along it mm. and then just lace it into the leather. You got a leather bound journal. Nice. Yeah. So I love all actually, those DIY things to where like, People don't yeah. think about them, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Well, the thing is, fans think about them. That's yeah. what's cool. And all our artists that we're going to be... Sorry, I got back on this, but no, I just... No, you got me on it. Um, or I got me on it. One of us got me on it, and now I'm there. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, whenever you can say that something is like hand-bound or handmade, they assume that it's the artist that did it, mm. you know? Um, now, you wouldn't want to lie about it and say, I bound these, but Personally. if it says hand yeah, but it, it allows you to not spend a million dollars. I mean, we can create a leather-bound journal for, like, if we did it in, in mass, probably, like, five to six bucks. Mm. So if you, you could sell those for 20 to 35 you know, depending on how much you put into the, the artwork on top. Um, and, you know, that's a huge margin for an artist. It's mm. great. So there's a lot – there are some artists where that works for their brand. It makes sense, you know. Um, especially if they have any kind of reference to letters or journaling or, you know, any of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, doing cool stuff like that, I'm, I could just nerd out on that all day long. Oh yeah, <laughs> Definitely. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, I will put it, the Indiepreneur link and whatnot in the show notes, or if this is on YouTube, it will be in the comments section. Um, yeah. thanks so much for coming on and spending some time. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.